Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Just Work podcast. This is Kim Scott. I'm the author of Just Work and Radical Candor and your co-host today, together with the great... Wesley Faulkner. Hi, I am a DevRel professional and neurodiversity advocate, and I'm happy to join you today. And I'm Wes Wade. I am a licensed clinical mental health counselor, a career coach, a DEI and neurodiversity consultant, and I am also very happy to be here today. Awesome. So what I thought we'd do, if it's okay with everyone, is I'll read a little bit from Just Work, which I'm editing now for the paperback. So it's going to be much shorter so that it's easier to read the whole thing. Uh, and, and then you all can tell me what you think, and then we'll tell some stories. How does that sound? Yay, story time. All right. I love story time. <laughs> First time we're going to do reading. Okay, so this is from the introduction, the new introduction of Just Work. And I will have just told a story about giving a radical candor talk at the company of Michelle. The CEO is Michelle. And she's told me that when she, and she's a black woman, one of too few black women CEOs in tech. And she's told me that when she offers people even the kindest, most compassionate criticism, she gets slimed with the angry black woman stereotype. And so I'm realizing how true this is. And uh, I'm, I have gotten some feedback about I've gotten some radical candor on radical candor. So here we go. Now that I was asking myself these questions about why this might have happened to Michelle, I realized that I had not done much to dig into how bias, prejudice, and bullying are often conflated as the same problem and hinder the trust needed for the constructive exchange of feedback, the quality of the actual feedback, and therefore our ability to do great work and build strong relationships at work. My failure to acknowledge and parse the difference between these attitudes and behaviors had put Michelle in a jam when she implemented radical candor. Why had I not paused to think about this when writing Radical Candor? I was certainly aware of the problems of bias, prejudice, and bullying, and how they can give way to discrimination, harassment, and violence. A CEO I coached was actively involved in the Black Lives Matter movement when it started after the murder of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri. I had grown up in Memphis, Tennessee, where Martin Luther King Jr. was murdered, I had taken the implicit association test to become aware of my own unconscious biases, and even though I'd been born with all kinds of unfair advantages, being white and Ivy League degreed didn't prevent me from being on the receiving end of bias, prejudice, bullying, discrimination, harassment, and sexual assault throughout my career. How was it possible that I had barely considered these problems when writing Radical Candor? Freud calls this kind of knowledge knowing without knowing. Michelle's feedback on radical candor helped me break through that kind of hazy knowing slash not knowing so I could analyze problems well enough to begin to develop a framework that might help us all figure out what to do when we notice them. Too often in my career, I have not said or done anything about these problems, either because I refused to notice them or because I didn't know what to say. It wasn't Michelle's job to educate me, so I'm grateful to her for doing so. 
this book is my effort to pay it forward. Okay, why don't I stop there? What do you all think? Give me some, give me some, lay some radical candor on me. My first thought is it feels like a little bit of like penance in some way, the way that you feel that this book is kind of the making up for the times that you didn't uh, step up and you didn't speak out or you weren't uh, really self-cognizant of the ways that you might have missed some things. So I, I thought that was a little bit of self-reflection, but I, I guess penance has a negative connotation, but this is a really positive uh, development from really reflecting inward and just making an outward physical like manifestation of being able to to kind of take people with you on this journey. So I thought that was a really good part of the the intro. Well, thank you. And I think penance actually is the right word. I mean, if if one of the one of my goals in the book is to consider the times where I was the person who caused harm, which which I have been, which actually I think all of us are from time to time. Some of us maybe more than others. But but if we if we're not able to consider what it you know what it means to be the person who caused harm, if we're not able to have a little bit of compassion for ourselves when we're in that role, then then we're not going to be able to respond well mm-hmm. when others are in that role. So for me, it was helpful to do do some penance. Yeah. What about you, Wes? What do you think? I like that word you used to Wesley penance because it did give that feeling to me when I was listening to Kim read it. Most of it, I'm visualizing my own situations at work and throughout my career in similar contexts. And so I'm putting myself in those in, in, in Kim's shoes there. And I like the introduction because it's honest and it provides some uh, inside uh, visualization of what's going on in her head and how she moved through that process. The thing that I wrestle with in it, and this, so I'm I'm trying to be radically candid here. Thank you. I, That's what I, I asked like for. Kim. I like <laughs> Kim's work, and this is my first time meeting her, and now I'm going to criticize it. So it's, it's, it's a little it's a little uncomfortable for me, right? But this is uh, a safe space, and safe spaces aren't uh, devoid of challenge. I think that's really important. Yeah. So it's like one of the things that I I hear in it is I wanted to know just a little bit more about the other person's experience of why that was jarring, right? And I mean, it doesn't have to be a lot because it's an intro, but I'm curious about that, right? Instead of feeling like, oh, I messed up, I'm sorry. But we do have to have compassion too. And that that you just said right there, I feel was missing. Like I want to hear people say, hey, it's okay to acknowledge that this hurts for us and this is hard. But there's like a line where that's, it's got to stop, right? We have to move forward past that compassion for ourselves and see the other person, which, yeah. which you did. Yeah, yeah. So, so just to make sure I understand, I think what you're saying is that I didn't, I didn't enter enough into Michelle's thinking, like why this was hard for Michelle, because she was offering people this sort of compassionate, gentle criticism. And I think objectively speaking, Michelle is one of the most sort of upbeat, cheerful, non-angry people I've ever met. Like if my husband, who's a white man, behaved in the same way that Michelle did, people would say he's incredibly even keeled and such a good guy, you know, and and Michelle gets called the angry black woman uh, when she behaves exactly the same way. And if I had behaved exactly the same way, I would probably be called as a white woman like, oh, she's a badass, like, which is kind of like, it's a little good, a little bad. 
But I think that's what's unfair. And so is that the kind of thing that I need to unpack a little bit more? You did a great job of untangling all of my words and thoughts there. That was that was it exactly. Okay. Well, I, I edited that part out. So now I'm going to go put it back in. So <laughs> I was but also keep in mind. I was- I was getting too long-winded. So This is the second half of the intro, so there is a little bit of that in the first half. So at least there is a, a flavor of that. And I also think that there is a one thing I also want to zoom in on is that you also mentioned that as a white woman, you have not avoided some of the, the trappings of the kind of social structure we live in. But I also wanted to point out um, as a black cis man that I have my own privilege too. And I felt like the same exact feelings in certain spaces where uh, my own privilege has made me blind to how other people uh, experience life and experience the world um, because it itself, uh Oh, purple Can flag. I wave what the did purple I say? flag? Yes. So for for uh, Wes, you may not know about the purple flag. I know the purple flag. He, he, I, I said something that was possibly not is insensitive to a group. Possibly biased. So one of the one of the things that I learned in writing the book is that I tend to use sloppy sight metaphors. So I mm-hmm. I say blind. Uh, yes. I say blind when what I meant is like I didn't notice it. Uh, and uh, or unaware of, and one of the one of the people, Breeze Harper, who helped me edit the book, pointed this out to me, and I th- I thought I got it, and I thought I got it intellectually, <laughs> but I also thought I got it uh, sort of emotionally because another person who was <laughs> helping me edit the book is named Zach Shore, and he's he's a historian who's blind, and so I thought I had stopped using that. And I, in, in a like 350 page book, I checked at the end and 99 times. So it's hard. That's right. Yes. Have compassion. 100%. That's ableist language. And I totally agree. Um, okay, I, sorry, but I, I also you. struggle. No, no, no. You were, um, you were you unaware. Should. You were that, unaware. That. Flag on the play. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> a friendly purple flag, not a yellow yes. flag. I was at flag. an event um, and a coworker who, uh, I I I met came out as nine bi- binary and I kept using the the wrong pronouns. It yeah. wasn't a big deal, and but it's something that I'm trying to practice as well. Um, yeah, so we all have that in the, uh, a few different areas, right? Yes, yes, and I think that points. I think that actually makes the point that I was trying to say is that with this this um, this privilege of how I present myself, of course, sometimes it feels as if it's burden uh, in some environments, but in other environments, it's entirely um, it makes me kind of not really notice the ways in which the privilege is helping me and disabling someone else. Yeah. Um, as I talk more about neurodiversity and acceptance and being able to be more inclusive, those are the type of things that I really want to change. I see it all the time. It's something I'm trying to put into practice, but I struggle. I struggle all the time. And uh, I think actually the purple flag points out is exactly what I'm trying to say. That I, 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 I say, how many times have I said that that phrase in a, in a mixed group that um, that I, or on stage or on a video that I wish I could take back? Yeah. Can me I too. can I bring up a point here that Wesley mentioned that is burning inside because it is 
yes. something that I feel is at the crux of all of this. Good. Lay it on us. There is a dynamic I notice that when people in a privileged situation, a societal, not situational privilege, societal privilege, mm -hmm. when they also have uh, an identity that experiences some degree of marginalization, mm -hmm. it can be hard to navigate certain spaces and uh, like philosophical ideas like intersectionality and privilege and other things because they hold on to that piece of uh, uh, oppression and marginalization that they've experienced. So I see that a lot with uh, white men who grew up poor, right? Mm -hmm. Or white men who have a disability or are neurodivergent, right? And I also see it with white women and black men, right? And it's it becomes this really interesting and weird conversation, weird in a good way, um, between especially like white women and black men, because we have this very significant identity that experiences a lot of historical and current marginalization and discrimination. But then we also have this identity that has a lot of privilege behind yeah. it. Yeah. Right. And it it's it makes it really challenging to navigate certain situations. And it also means that we have a responsibility, in my opinion, to communicate that difficulty in a very authentic and visible way because it helps other people navigate through these spaces too. Yes. I mean, I, I think I'm really glad that you're talking about this because one of the things that I struggled with in writing this book as a white woman was on the one hand, I felt like I was doing penance and I felt like I owed it to the world to write this. And on the other hand, I felt like I had no right to write this book uh, because as you know, I had, for all the times that I had been underestimated for no good reason, I'd also been overestimated for no good reason. <laughs> and it's very hard to disentangle those two things. Like, how could I say that I had experienced injustice when I got, you know, more than my fair share of, uh, of, 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 uh, you know, what, what, what I wanted in life. And I, it would be ridiculous to say I ever experienced injustice, but on the other hand, like I did. <laughs> and so it's tr That's tricky. It is, it is incredibly tricky and it can prevent us from fully seeing other people if we are not being aware of ourselves, which is what I thought your Freud quote was speaking towards, the knowing without knowing, which, you know, and and my, I'm not a psychologist, I'm a counselor, but these areas overlap greatly. Yeah. Uh, we just tend to be more strengths-based on the counseling side of things. Um, we uh, call that metacognition, yeah. right? It's thinking about thinking. And yeah. when I do coaching with uh, like organizational leaders and things of that name, people of, of, of that nature on that title, I'm really focused on this conceptual piece first. Like, how do you think about the way that you think? Because as an organizational leader, a lot of your job is thinking and you have to think about these approaches with, a, a in my opinion, a systemic and intersectional and, and holistic view and you also need to be considerate about what you know about yourself and what you don't know. And there, I, I mean, I could go deep into counseling, psychology, nerddom here with like Johari's window and all this sort of stuff. But I, I will I will hold on that for a moment. 
You're a wealth of knowledge, Wes. That's yes, awesome. <laughs> I have so many questions for you. But before I ask you all these questions, let's let's talk stories. What what is an experience that if if you're willing to share that you've had with bias, prejudice, or bullying? And you can decide to tell a story about you as the person who's harmed, as the as the leader in the situation, as the upstander in the situation. Or even as the person who caused harm, do you have a do you have a story for us? I I have so many stories. So many. <laughs> um, it is hard to pick out all of them and what's most severe and what probably things that are probably a little older in my career are probably a little safer at this point too. Yeah. Um. So one specific story that I was thinking about was, um, oh gosh, th- okay. So this one was in a corporate career, right? Mm-hmm. This is this this was years ago, I had a corporate career for roughly 10 years. And then I moved to counseling and higher ed and consulting and all that stuff, which I've been doing for almost another 10 years. So this is 10 plus years ago, right? Or 10 years ago, approximately. So I'm working in a corporate setting. I was in business to business sales, client relationship management, doing a lot of um, like outbound sales. So I'm, I'm driving to places and I am the only non-white person on the team, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot that I'm experiencing. And I'm in my late 20s at this point, like late, mid, early, late 20s. And, and where, where are you in the country, if you can say? Uh, in, in, in the glorious South, which I love. Okay. Here in North Carolina, right? And so there was just this budding of heads that I had with the person who was my manager at that mm-hmm. time, right? There were many incidents, but there were three primary incidents that I think about that popped up. There was one, there was this incidents, uh, in- incidents where it's like the training, we're at the corporate training and they're asking us all these questions. We're doing all these, you know, sessions and, you know, intense one-on-ones. And he makes a comment to me in like a little small table focus group about, hey, you know, we're trying to get better at diversity here. And, um, you know, we just got a lot of white pasty dudes and that's like a, flag. You had the purple flag. That was like a red yeah. flag to me. I was like, it's, when people say that, I hear that yeah. a lot. Yeah. It indicates certain things for me, right? In, in a multitude of ways. So there was that, and I'm thinking about this, but I'm in a group of, you know, multiple people who are my peers, new hires like me. I'm the only person who doesn't have the same racial identity of these people at the table. I stand out in many ways. And I'm just like, okay, all right. And so it's like then, in the movie Get Out when they said yes. I would have voted for Obama three times. Yeah. The third time. It's like, yes, exactly. okay, that's that that's so awkward. It's and I think like just about every black person recognizes that is okay, that that was a clue. We just yeah. had a clue. A yeah. Clue. Yeah. Well, I mean, and also like why is he turning to, is it your fault that they haven't hired any, you know, like why is he turning to you? Uh, as soon as he thinks about diversity, like why isn't he turning to turning inward and saying why why does every what, you know why is this why have we hired so many white people? And you're in the and south at that time. And why yeah. ask me at this a training? I'm trying to set a good foot. Yeah, I didn't do well in undergrad. This was like my big job after I had like this four year corporate job. I'm like, oh man, this is good. I got this big break. And I and I and I'm like, what do I do in that situation? Yeah. And so it continued. Like I said, there was a bunch of different scenarios, but there was like uh, three that stuck out. So there was that one. Then there was this other scenario. Sorry, before with- we move on to the next one, can you ta- can, uh, can you talk? I mean, I have a certain reaction to paste to the to the phrase "pasty white," <laughs> but 
but I wonder if mine is the same as yours. Like what, what that that throws a flag on my field. Uh, but what what flag does it throw on your field? What's the nature of your flag? Or I can go first if you want. Um, I, I'm really curious to hear what you have to say. For for me, um, it was it it, it tends to be this self-deprecation type of approach to diversity false and that self-deprecation false that was the, false. That, that was that was the word i was going to yes. use as pasty is like false self-deprecation that that is exactly it it's like you you don't know what to do and you're trying yeah. to signal that maybe you have good intentions or hey i'm i'm humbling myself here i'm making myself vulnerable here so meet me halfway and it's lazy, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's no, and there's no right answer to respond. Yeah, there are a lot of white pasty people around here. No, yeah. that's not the right answer. Yeah, and be like, no, there's not a lot of white pasty people here. It's like that's not the right answer either. It's like there is no response that can feel natural yeah. in that situation. And that's a good point. I think there's another couple of things that are going on. One is like you're trying to make a joke of something to make light of it, to pretend like it's not a big deal when it actually is a big deal. So like, and I'm guilty of this all the time. I laugh about things that really are not funny. Uh, and, and so I think that that is part of it. And then I think probably the most insidious thing about the phrase pasty white from my perspective is that you're sort of insulting yourself when a white person says it, you're sort of insulting yourself and then there's like a risk that this person is going to use it to start insulting other people. You know, there's like this, like, if I can, if I can sort of characterize myself in this negative way, now I'm earning the right to characterize other people in this negative way. And so it's like, it's like fingers on a chalkboard to me. Yeah. Saying it out loud makes me also realize it was kind of a litmus test in a way. So there's like this guy locker room culture, which is very present yeah. in sales cultures, right? I think yeah. we all know that. That is very well established. So there was that going on. And what, this is anecdotally, I have no like research or anything to support this, but I have noticed that people will throw like a slight version of a insensitive or like yeah. bigoted joke out to yeah. see how you react. Do you yeah. laugh? Do you respond with one? Almost to say, hey, you know, are you one of us? Yeah. And then there's also the piece of, are you insinuating that this is how I think of you? So this is why you're saying that to yeah, me? And if yeah. you think I think that of you, what do you yeah. think of me? Like, what, what are you, what phrase are you saying to identify me? Yeah, yeah. So you're now an impossible situation. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> right, sorry. Right. I'm sorry. Okay, two more stories and then we'll talk about them. Yeah. So this is all within the same context, right? So okay. then a few months later, this person has a new managerial role. So they're really excited. They've been at this organization for a while. And this is a large, well-known organization, I'm not saying the name, but yeah. they are you know, intent on trying to do well. And I don't think now when I look at it in hindsight that this person is bad, right? Mm -hmm. They were trying to think of ways to help motivate and manage their their staff, but also really they were thinking about their own success and not the well-being of the staff. So there's the, the next situation came with 
we want all of our sales executives to make a certain number of dials, right? Now, I, mm-hmm. I will admit the whole like cold call prospecting thing. Yeah. I am not, I don't like that. I, I hate it. I'm not good at that. I've That's always been a issue for me, but I was really good at the communicated, uh, the communicate interpersonal communication mm-hmm. part, all the consultative selling part. So the manager, our manager was frustrated with the volume of calls, not despite number of appointments and sales, didn't want to look at that, but frustrated with the number of calls. Yeah. He took our door off the hinges. We had a door for oh our gosh. office. We had a, our own office and he took the door off the hinges. There was, now there was three of us. And again, I'm there was it's a small office within this large organization. Mm-hmm. There's only like 10 people there total, but there was three executive sales executives and all three of us got our doors taken off the hinges. So that was like the second thing. Wow. Which now at this point it's pretty feels aggressive like to me, right? Yeah, yeah, it's super aggressive. Yeah, yeah. Also, a signal of lack of trust that you need to be watched and you do not have the autonomy to choose how you spend your time, regardless of the outcome. It's the process that was more important than the results, which is also very insulting. Right, right. I, and it's what do the people who are working on my team need? to do their best work, right? Well, maybe they need the door so they can have silence, right? Yeah. What if what if I'm ADHD and I am? Like I can't have an open door when I'm trying to focus yeah. on a call because it's not that I have a a lack of attention. Uh, it's not a deficit, it's that I pay attention to everything. So if I yeah. hear conversations yeah. outside of my door, I can't prioritize. So it it really was one of the things that put me on a path of why I got fired from that job because now wow. I'm, I'm, there's right. this there's this uh, culminating feeling of these you know these incidents building up. Those are just two, but there was a yeah. lot in between there. Yeah. So now I feel like I'm being targeted, and now it's like I have some some wins on my book. My manager's manager likes me, right? So there's so it's good. Always oh, is a good guy. He's really good at this. Oh, we just really want him to have more sales though, right? But the sales right. that I have are bringing in a lot of money because they're. They're they're better clients, right? And so I'm just taking more time to 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 prospect here. So then the last thing that happened. Wait, before I was going to say the second example feels like um, the beatings will continue until the morale improves. Where you're being punished, and the punishment itself is the exact opposite of what they're trying to incentivize. Yeah. Right. It's like we're not even being good at the actual strategy that we're all working together on. It, it, it feels one sided at that point. It doesn't it feel like very micromanaging. Yes. Yes. And okay. I, yeah. And I think that that uh, micromanaging and totally total lack of awareness of what you need to succeed as an individual. I, I I agree, right? And I, and I'm thinking all of this with my I think I was 27 around this no, time, which so hard. I mean, all of us I think are you know uh, it, at least 10 years removed from our 20s. Like I, I'm 40. I remember how I thought when I was 20, um, and I was very <laughs> I was very enraged. I had every right yeah. to be enraged, but that level of anger and frustration was even deeper at that point in time, right? And so. Um, it continued. There's a lot of like small microaggressions that happened throughout the way. And then the manager is riding with me to appointments to see 
what he can do to help me close more deals. But my percentage, my my closing percentage was really, really high because I just wasn't going on as many meetings, but I yeah. closed a lot of those meetings. So the, like the issue probably really isn't that I'm not good at the piece where I'm meeting the client. It's this yeah. other piece that we're talking about. However, those are really good skills, right? And that's yeah. that's another part. I'm going to put a pin in that. So then, so we we left this session. It was a good client meeting. We're on the way back. We're in the car. And this manager is white, white male, is about seven years older than me at that time, and starts playing some hip hop, uh, starts playing a, a song called In Words in Paris. Uh, it's a classic song and rapped every lyric of the song. And now I flipped out. I flipped out in the car. And, you know, hindsight, I know I flipped out. It's all of these things. I didn't get to have a conversation about all these things going on. And in my head, I did the mental gymnastics of I can probably say anything I want in this moment because you can't go back to HR and say, well, you know, I played a, this this hip hop song, started rapping all the lyrics and and then denied that it was the issue that I was saying that word when the, you know, my employee said this to me. So I I. I said some things that I'm not going to repeat <laughs> right? 27. Okay. And I was, I was pretty, ang- I was angry. I was hot. I'm not a, I'm not a small guy. I'm, I'm, I'm the same size as Mike Tyson. If that like puts it into perspective, right. I'm not, I'm, I, I, I'm you're a big guy, 20 30, right. I'm not like giant, but I'm a bigger guy. Right. Yeah. And so I, I was not intimidated by this. And I, I said a lot, there was words exchanged. <laughs> there was silence after that. And um, you know, within two months after that, I, I was I was gone. I was I was terminated. Wow. Uh, and that so that that is the uh, the bookends of my story. I would say. Uh, I am so sorry. That is a that is rough. That is really rough. So let's take it. Let's let's back up and let's go back to the pasty white comment. I I'm trying to think. I'm trying to put myself in your shoes, uh, and I'm five feet tall and. <laughs> Uh, and 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 a woman and white, so uh, so your shoes are too big for me. But uh, but I I am trying to put myself in your shoes and think what what would have you know what could I have said on the pasty white comment? And you know the first question now that I would ask myself, although I wouldn't have been able to do this when I was younger, when I was your age then, is like is this bias talking? Is this prejudice talking? Or is he bullying me? Is he, is he actually like intentionally using this phrase to make me uncomfortable and knock me off my game? And my sense is that was kind of a bullying comment. Although he could, there's plausible, the problem with that, it's like passive aggressive bullying. There's some plausible deniability uh, in it. So I think uh, I, I would have, you know, some things I'm just going to start throwing things out there to say, and you all tell me how they would land. Um, so what are you going to do about that? So what do you think? Why is that? You know, like put it back. He's, he's putting it on you. So what do you think? Why, why could that be, you know? Um, or you could use a use statement to just change the subject. Well, what do you think about, you know, such and such? What it, so so give me some thoughts on that kind of response. I'll chime in really quickly and say um, I've been in those un- uncomfortable situations. I usually default to like laughing, but um, 
Yeah, me too. I mean, usually that... I default to saying nothing, to pretending yeah. the whole thing didn't happen. Uh, just to try to not make it as awkward. Um, <laughs> um, but in that situation, I would probably, like you said, turn back the question and say, well, why do you think that is? Yeah. Um, or you've been here longer than I have. What have you observed? Um, and that is where I would go to try to put the burden squarely on them to say that I'm, I'm just a new person. I, I don't know as much as you do. You share your expertise with me. What would you say, Wes? I agree. Now, I'm also, like Kim mentioned, right? I'm thinking about this with 40-year-old eyes and 40-year-old yeah. patients too, right? And now, and also, like, I'm in a different career, right? I have different training. I have counselor training. I'm really good at picking these types of things apart and navigating this uh, now. I mean, I was pretty good then, but the rage kind of... Uh, uh, took hold of me in those situations. So now when I hear comments like this, I also put it back on the person to explain. And that is also a technique from, you know, my counseling profession as well as coaching. One of the reasons is you want the person to think about what they're saying. And when they have to actually answer this question by yeah. explaining themselves, sometimes they start saying these things out loud and they're like, uh, 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 oh, oh, right. Like, yeah. You're probably not going to have an exchange like this where the person says, you know what? I'm completely wrong. You're right on this. I shouldn't have done it. Now, we can do that. That's like my goal is to create more of these situations because yeah. we should be able to do that. But I don't have that expectation of that. But when I see that in that moment that they're like, oh, you know, you can tell that they're like, yeah. oh, that sounded a little off. Explain it. That, that, that feels like a, it's not about winning, but it's. I got through. Something happened. You got to hear the message here. And that 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 is a win. <laughs> yeah. 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 Absolutely. So what about the door off the hinges? I mean, what that that to me also feels like bullying uh and sort of micromanaging uh, uh and micromanagement I think is often a form of bullying. Uh, and a lot of people who are underrepresented say that they experience hypervigilance, that they get micromanaged more than their colleagues who are not mm -hmm. underrepresented. Uh, so what would have happened in that case if you went to your your manager and said, look, taking the door off the hinges hurts my performance because, because I have ADHD? Like what would have happened in that case? When you take the door off the hinges, you hurt my performance. I, I can only give hypothetical answers, right? Okay. And so let me, sit, let me frame this. I based the hypothetical answer off of the responses that we did give. Like all of us were pretty upset. Yeah. I mean, we were pissed. Like we, we, we were fear. We were really angry, right? And so when we came to him and we started talking about this, we didn't frame it in this articulate way, again, late twenties, we were all yeah. late twenties or like 31 at the oldest. And it was just, Hey, you need to take this off. Right. And it was just this very attacking kind of thing. It was like a, a, a more attacking version of a you statement. And there wasn't a lot of like insight behind it, but to lead with, which I didn't know at the time, but, or I didn't know officially at the time, but to lead with I'm ADHD and this is going to hurt the performance goal that you've put in front of me. And this just creates more anxiety, which is not going to help me like yeah. make calls. 
Yeah. Right. Cause sales kind of has this, you know, this, uh, you got to get into very the flow. Culture. Hey, you you got to just go out there and just tough it out, man. Yeah. You just got to tough it out. <laughs> right. And so you, you really have to argue with facts against some of this stuff yeah. and, or evidence at least. Right. So yeah, I would, I would approach it somewhat like that. And you think it would work or you think the person would have responded back? I mean, it's also, you make yourself vulnerable when you, and, and it's dangerous to make yourself vulnerable when someone's bullying you. It is. It is. It, and so it's situational, right? Because everyone has different situations and needs. And so if you're in a situation where um, you have some confidence about your ability in the job market, depending on what the job market looks like in your area, I don't want to work for a place that's not respecting my individualness, right? Yeah. It's not looking at me as uh, not just you know a person that's here to perform work, but a person that has a life and has you know uh, a spouse and children and has other issues, you know, aging parents, other things, right? What does this mean when this person comes in? That that is what we hope for, right? And yeah. I, and I think that when we lean on that, um, it can help. However. At that point in time, at 27, I, I felt like no one was going to listen to me because I'm a black man in this space. So I just, yeah. I was just quiet for the most part until I blew up because I pinned it up. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, and that is like such, that is what happens to all, to, to any human being who like stuff builds up, it builds up, it builds up and then you go critical. And, and that is, that is, if we go back to radical candor, very often when we sit there and, and ruin a sympathy for too long, you get more and more frustrated. And then when you finally say something, you know, you don't necessarily say it in the way you wish you had. <laughs> in I've been in a lot of those situations where um, the manager, you mentioned that they were recently promoted and they're trying to push forward with this thing. And I've had that same experience where a lot of managers feels like they're cosplaying as managers. They, it's like a character a characterization from a movie that they copy in order to say, well, that's what this person would do in order to push this hard. And those types of managers or people are somewhat the most dangerous because yeah. they secretly deep down have this insecurity about doing the right thing and not knowing which way to kind of push things forward or how pe people um, uh, can be motivated because they're just very inward focused and they're really scared about that outward perception and so that they just kind of mimic what they feel that they need to be and yeah, I really feel for you in that situation. And I see a lot of a lot of that in my own history. And yeah, I'm really sorry you, had, you went through that. Well, I, I, I appreciate that. You didn't do it, right? <laughs> but it, but also it's it goes back to the knowing without knowing piece, which yes. you were saying just there, right? Because it's it's that metacognition, thinking about thinking. You're a new manager. What is like what does this mean for you? Like a lot of times you're going to reflect what you experienced as a manager unless you spend time being intentional unpacking the good and bad things that happen and what you want to do differently often yeah. people just read a book hey here's, here's a course read a book and it's kind of general a lot of people are just going through the motions and then you get in that space and you're just repeating what you experienced this is hazing this is yeah. all of these other, but this is generational trauma is one way. Generational yeah. trauma gets passed down. It's the same thing in the work environment. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And then, like, the end of the story is so shocking where this guy, this guy is, like, I, I, it is, the things people will do, like, what is wrong with people? Like, what, like, and, and you probably couldn't even go to HR and explain that it happened, you know, because they wouldn't have, sounds like, had your back at this, at this company. But it seems like you landed on your feet. So how did you recover from that experience and move on to something better? Let's end on a, let's end on a high note. How'd you do, how did you, like, that's hard to recover from. Probably took some years. It was, it was hard. And I was experiencing some other similar issues with my corporate experience. And, you know, there's no perfect places. Every place has pros and cons. And I decided to move into a career that uh, aligned more of my skills and gave me some more autonomy. And it took it took years, right? It took years for me to see the situation differently. And what had yeah. ended up happening is once I moved out of that just industry as a whole, and now I'm getting into a different field and I'm working in higher ed and I have my own private practice, I'm doing all this stuff. That same manager had reached out on LinkedIn and it was a friendly exchange. You know, it wasn't there wasn't the like, hey, I'm sorry for X, Y, Z specifically that happened. That would have been nice, but I don't have these expectations, whether good or bad. And so what happened was I felt that it was wrong. I know that it was wrong. Let me say that. I know that those actions were wrong, but I'm also realistic about the issues that I had myself uh, just in that job in general. And how this person just, it's not their fault that they're not adequately trained for this, right? I'm not trying to take away blame from that person. I'm just saying that they needed better training and the organization yeah. they worked at didn't support them in their training, right? Like they, it's not 100% on them. The, the, I mean, they're still a middle manager. So for me, I was just able to let go and yeah. not hold on to that hate for that person because- while I know that it was wrong and while I know it was frustrating, this is not a bad person um, in, in general. And I got to see that they were a good father to their kids and they were really gentle and compassionate to their partner. And so that allowed me to say this is someone who just hasn't been through the process to learn themselves, their their space, and it's not my job to teach them. And yeah. I hope that they learn, right? And now it's time for me to do my other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's important, that sort of forgiveness, not because the other person deserves it, but because it's important for you to let go of, at least for me at various points, it's been really important for me to let go of my anger because it was hurting me and it wasn't hurting the other person uh, at all. Yeah. Um, well, right. I think what's we're, we're what's that? I said, well, what's that saying? I always forget that saying, don't drink the poison, you know, that, that yeah, that, uh, yeah. If somebody hands you a cup up. of poison, don't drink it. You know, right. <laughs> something along those lines. Yeah. Yes. Totally. Totally. Uh, well, listen. Thank you so much. I, I could talk to you all all afternoon, but I know we're just at about time. I want to invite our listeners to share their stories of bias, prejudice, bullying. Uh, or any anything else that happened to you at work, and you don't even know how to characterize it. And we'll try to to share, discuss it, analyze it with you. Thank you. You can send us a note, hello at justworktogether.com. And thank you both. It's the day of two Wesleys. Thank you both so much. Yes. Really, really enjoyed the conversation. Yes, thank you, Wes. Really great having you on the show. And if you are listening to the show, 
uh, use the email address, but also rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, we would love to hear how you think uh, you like this new format. Thank you for your time. Thanks so much. Thank you all for having me. Thank you. You know, I would love, hang on, I'm going to stop recording.